Part two of the Fates of the Princes of Dovard by Kenneth Morris. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The three branches of the bringing in of it, namely the sovereignty of Anun. Two, the hunting Lenkuch. In those days, Pool, Prince of Dovard, had not his equal in beauty and prowess among the warlike sovereigns of the island of the mighty and he held lordship in a country the most lovely in the world heaven knows where may be its better or whether more of excellence and delight could be crowded into it than is there already as for his people the demisians there were none more kindly or valorous either in the three islands of the mighty or in the three islands near thereby or in the island of ireland in the court of the crowned king in london there was no one unless it was the crowned king himself or taliesin the chief of bards or the great druids of Inesmon, or ternion turfliant king of gwent that had more dignity than pool had indeed the princes of dovard had always been held to be among the three supporting pillars of sovereignty of the island of britain whatever may have happened to pool before the day he went hunting in glencoch nothing is known of it that was the seed and beginning of all that is related concerning him for that reason no one would leave the story of that hunt unrelated if he were for setting forth duly the history of the fates of the princes of dovard in the cold of the dawn and the youth of the day he rode out from cluindiarwid and the hundred men of his tyli and a hundred dogs followed him before the drying of the dew they roused up in glencuch a splendid many-antlered stag as soon as he saw it the desire of his life came on pool to overtake it until dusk he had it in view by mountain and meadow by rushy field and ferny forest it cantered on lordlily before him it was well known that no four-footed creature in the island of the mighty except flamwen adengalu the mare of turfliant was equal in speed to pool's mare blodwen indeed those two were sisters of the one sire and dam the men of the tyli were the best riders in the world so far as was known and as for his hundred dogs they were a hundred swift unrivalled harrying hunters but there was no success for any of them against that stag and that was a cause for great marvelling with the chieftain dust came over the trees and a glow of gold and rose and saffron covered the western heaven he saw the stag pass behind a shoulder of mountain barely a bowshot in front of him impetuously he rode forward in pursuit but when he came out into the valley beyond there was no sign of it to be seen in a little while he drew rein finding nothing and the dogs being at fault he blew three resounding blasts upon his horn but got no answer beyond the shouting of mountain echoes it was on the shore of a long dim lake he was in a great valley and the clear water lapping among the reeds and on the pebbles at the mare's forehoofs a few birds flew through the twilight calling with shrill and mournful voices around him the dogs were running hither and yonder confused and whining uneasily it was clear to him that neither he nor they knew the place or had seen it before during their lives 
or would know which way to take if they desired to be returning to Cluin Diarwid. While the echoes from the horn were dying away among the mountains beyond the lake, a sound came down from the hillside behind him that seemed to be barking, but was unlike any barking he had heard until then. He turned, and suddenly the stag dashed out of the wood there, making towards the water. Then, seeing him, it swerved and ran out before him along the lake edge. He forgot everything but his desire to catch it. Away with him, and the dogs in front of him, in a moment. As he rode, he heard the barking of the strange dogs, and once there came to his ears the sound of a horn, unlike any hunting horn in the island of the mighty. But, with his haste and his eager desire to come up with the stag, it was the same to him, as if he had heard nothing. He was nearing it now. It seemed to him that a shadowy light was playing about its proud horns and beautiful body. On his left hand was the lake, and the round, lone, boulder-strewn mountains beyond it. On his right the darkening, rushy fields rose up to the rim of the woodland. Suddenly the pack that he had heard barking poured out from among the trees there, and swept down after the stag. In the whole world there was not the like of that pack in those days. Much less is there the like of it now. Clearly the dogs shone against the dusk and purple of the edge of the forest. Their bodies were wan and luminous like pearls, but whiter than any pearl in the east or west of the world. Their right ears were redder than deep roses, and sparkled and burned, as if made of ruby stuff, with the moon strangely and brilliantly shining through it. As for their barking, there was a wild music and sorrow in it. Never had a sound so mournful been heard in the three islands of the mighty. Before they could reach the stag, Poole was in the midst of them, driving them back and setting his own dogs upon it instead. It was standing at bay in the water. The Demetian dogs not farther from it, the foremost of them, than they might have leapt, and the chieftain himself coming up as swiftly as he might. He saw its two eyes and perceived clearly that there was no fear nor expectation of danger in them. He raised his hunting spear and was in the act of casting it. Three of his dogs were in the act of leaping, but before the spear might be loosed from his hand, and before the dogs might leave the ground in their leaping, he heard a sound that suddenly stayed him and them, his own name called thrice from the border of the forest behind him. With that there was a shaking out of sombre laughter over the water, and the stag rose up in the air and ran shining through the dusky air high above the lake, luminous against the far, wild, purply darkening mountains beyond, and was lost. Then Poole turned and saw a man riding down out of the wood, whom even the blind would have known to be a mighty king. Without haste, his grand, dun-coloured charger bore him, splashing with its hoofs through the pool-starred, rush-grown field. Dark was the mantle blown back from his shoulders, like a storm-cloud trailed across the face of night. Set in his brooch were deeply glowing rubies and sapphires. In his hunting-cap, a purple diamond, larger than a hen's egg, that burned and sparkled and twinkled through the gloom. He was stern and tall, slow of speech, and unlike any of the kings of the island of the mighty, 
for they were but handsome proud bright-eyed laughter-loving men but he seemed as if great labour and sorrow were never apart from him yet a dignity akin to that of the immortal kindred was upon him and it was to be seen that kings would obey when he commanded ha chieftain he cried what breach of courtesy is this that you have committed the greeting of heaven and of man to you said poole no breach of courtesy in the world so far as is known hunting my own stag have i been in my own country hunting the stag in my country have you been said the other and driving my dogs away from it it came into poole's mind again that although he knew every field and mountain and lake and stream and vale and woodland within the boundaries of dovard he had never seen the like of those mountains nor heard so much as a rumour of that lake and valley until then the place was neither in his own kingdom nor in any known land beyond its borders ah chieftain said he a main breach of courtesy is this indeed i will ride back quickly into dovard and send you what presents you may desire to requite you no one that comes into this and may go out of it without doing service said the king as to that said poole if it pleases you set a hundred well-armed men against me in all courtesy that i may make trial whether there is any going out of it or not less than fitting would it be to do otherwise whatever warfare i may wage against them i will send the presents when i have come to my own court not so said the king you have come to no land in the island of the mighty nor in any of the four quarters of the world of men wherever the road may lie between this and cluin de Arrowid, take it you without hindrance if there is any finding it for you it was clear to poole that there was not either for him or for his dogs the road is lost said he what land is this into which i have wandered annan it is in the underworld Araun, king of annan am i poole knew by that that he had left the world of men and could not come to it again by any common travelling he knew too that the one he was talking with was of the race and kindred of the immortals i will do the service gladly said he be it what it will it will be an honour to me to undertake it it will be the killing of havgan the son of hunan whose kingdom borders on my own said the other there has been no peace in annan since he usurped the throne of it this night i will go against him said poole and i will let no rest come on me until this is accomplished not so said aron havgan will never be killed by any one unless he thinks it is i who am killing him my aspect you must wear when you go against him and my sword you must strike with or there will be no ridding him of life lord said poole put you the aspect upon me as it may be in your power to and give me the sword to make trial whether i can use it or not it was known to him without receiving news of it that few could wield such a sword as arounds would be the king drew it from its sheath a great burning beautiful brand huger than any sword in the island of the mighty or in ireland or in the whole world so far as was known poole took it by the hilt as aron held it out to him he was a strong man and the best of all the swordsmen in britain but when he took that sword it seemed to him that there was an arrogant fierce 
unsubduable spirit in it it writhed and shook itself in his hand a great flame and shouting broke from it fiercely it struggled and tore itself away from him and in a moment had returned of its own will to its sheath no one could wield it unless he had been reigning in annan for at least a year and a day said the king no one would be able to obtain success against havgan until after that time and he would not obtain it either if on the field of conflict he granted any request that Hafgan might make of him after the first blow was struck nothing will be granted him said poole if it please you to tell me what will follow the killing of this man the best advantage in the world to the one that shall have killed him said Araun. whoever may obtain success in this will become one with the immortal kindred first or last he will become one with them he will have a wife from the country of the immortals and the hill of the immortals will be revealed for him while the king was speaking a mist and a wild music were rising over the valley and lake and woods and hills and even Araun himself grew dimmer and dimmer before poole's vision beyond the dimness of the falling of night shadowy opal-coloured multitudes stole forth from the mists and mountains moving and waving in their vague dances he dismounted from white blodwin and went half dreaming towards the dun-coloured charger the dancers ebbed and flowed around him filling the valley with the sound of their harps at first they were faint and dim far and stately they might have been the forms of the hills and trees flowing forth and rippling about the rim of the world their motion became faster they drew nearer to him taking on luminous delicate forms and the colours of all jewels he could feel the cool slumber-laden breezes from their waving arms on his face and in his hair he could feel them drenching him with dews of peace and sleep and oblivion a quiet rhythm of singing drifted from them a whirl and wandering of music from their twinkling fingers on the strings the sound lapped like calm lake water about his mind until vision and memory faded from him and he was unaware of the world and the sky then the king of annan mounted bloodwin and called poole's dogs and rode off to dovert by a little secret way across the mountains there it is said that he reigned for a year and a day in the palace of arberth and none of the demesians ever so much as dreaming he was not their rightful lord but as for poole a marvellous change came upon him instead of the blue cloak he had been wearing it was the dark mantle of Araun that was on him for white blodwin and her splendid saddle and her four-cornered saddle-cloth of purple with an apple of gold at each corner he had the gemless saddle and the great dun-coloured charger his face changed and became dark and stern and brown-bearded and his mien changed and his carriage and bearing and stature so that no one would have known it was poole he was and not Araun. then the dream-weaving multitude left him and he awoke end of part two